All right. Well, good morning. Man, packed house today. Yeah, I love that. It's so great to see all of you. I have a lot to say in a short amount of time. The first thing I want to say officially again is Happy New Year. I hope your new year has gotten off to a great start. And uh, a lot's happened already in just seven days. And so I can only imagine what this year is going to hold. But I'm committed and I'm determined. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be determined this morning. If you don't make a determination in your heart about how you're going to live, who you're going to serve, the choices you're going to make, if you don't have a resolve in your life, you're going to easily get sidetracked. And there's a lot of things that want to distract you and sidetrack you, a lot of things. And so every day we have to make a determination of a couple things that are vital and critical to our lives. Now, this isn't self-help. There's a lot of great self-help books that are out there, and I'm not here this morning to massage anybody's brain, but what I am out to do is awaken your spirit and your heart. What I want more than anything is for you to walk out of these doors fired up, passionate, more in love, more determined in how you're going to live your life. And so I'm an extremely determined person. I'm extremely determined. I'm just telling you I'm determined, okay? I love to take risks. I love to live my life without fear, sometimes to a fault. I love to live my life wild and extravagant, and I don't want to ever hold back. I trust God, and I'm willing to make mistakes and fail. In fact, many times I take risks with the mindset that I may fail, and if I do, that's okay. And there's been a lot of times in my life where I have failed. I wouldn't be where I'm at had I not failed. I've made a ton of mistakes. I've tried a lot of things that didn't work. And most successful people in life have gone through the same thing. So you can't be afraid to fail. You can't be afraid to take risks. And you can't be afraid to make mistakes. But you have to be determined. And so we're going to talk a little bit about determination. And I'm setting you up for what I want you to be determined about. This is all a setup, okay? So there's a scripture that just resonates inside my, my heart and mind consistently. It's a scripture that I ponder and meditate on a lot in my life. And there are a lot of scriptures like that, but there's one particular scripture that has resonated with me for a very long time, and it's one that's forefront and, forecent, and, it's forefront and center in my sight and vision right now. And it's one that I feel like the Lord wants all of us to come back to, and I want to help you understand it a little bit today. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. This is an awesome, simple scripture, and my entire message is going to revolve around this scripture today. And actually, I'm going to do a two-part series. Next week, I'm going to focus on being determined, living a determined lifestyle for other people. But today, I'm going to talk about living a determined lifestyle for yourself. Okay? So today, we'll talk about how this scripture applies to you, and then next week, we're going to talk about how it applies to the way that you live your life with other people. So they go hand in hand. God always does something in you so that he can do it through you. You have to first have an experience for yourself if you're going to help someone else to have it, right? So the vision that I have for my life is to successfully lead others to live an abundant life, happy, healthy, and free. I define abundance as living happy, healthy, and free in Jesus Christ. Now, I can't help you 
or show you how to live an abundant life if I'm not living an abundant life. Now, let me make sure you understand what I define abundance is not going through hardship. It's not that we don't face difficult times. It's not that persecution. All that happens. Suffering. I teach a lot on suffering, but in the right context. In fact, when you understand suffering in the right way, it's not a fearful thing. It actually produces supernatural life. It makes you stronger. It thickens your skin. It builds your faith. It makes you more confident in who you are and what you believe. The problem is, is we don't have a, a lot of the church doesn't have a good picture of what real suffering is. And there's a lot of really jacked up doctrines out there about suffering. Like God made you sick to teach you a lesson. I mean, that's one of the worst doctrines that are out there. But believe it or not, even in this South Texas culture, in a lot of churches, it's very prevalent. Okay, so it's important that we have a really good understanding of what it means to be determined, how we live our lives. It's important that we have a focus that we never get off from, ever. And so my vision is something that I'll work on my entire life. I never accomplish it. I'm accomplishing it in a sense along the way, but it's not like it ever finishes. So you got to get a vision for your life that's bigger than yourself. And there's, this scripture is about a vision bigger than yourself. I mean, this, there is so much in this one little word to unpack, it'll take a lifetime to teach it, okay? Because there's two parts. The first part is being determined to know first one person, Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is him crucified. And so making a determination is important, very important. Let me give you a couple good definitions of what it means to uh, make a determination. The first thing I want you to know is that in the Greek, the word determination or determine is a, is a legal term. I have made a determination, and therefore, I render judgment. I pass my, my, this is my opinion. This is what I have determined is the end result based on what I've discovered, okay? So we'll talk a little bit later about the word to know. In the Greek, there's several different words for know. There's one word that is to know someone intimately, to know Jesus, to know God, to know one another in a very intimate way, like a husband and a wife. That's the word ginosko. But there's a different word for know that's in this context, and this word for know is a, vision, is a visionary term. It means to see. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the pieces of the puzzle together for you this morning, and I'll actually break down the word no at the very end. First, I want you to understand what it means to be determined, and what I want and what I hope and what I pray for for all of us is that this morning we would all be more determined. That's my goal. I have a goal today is to get you to live a determined lifestyle and that the determination would be to know Jesus like you've never known him before and to know him crucified. So, well, why, why doesn't the scripture say to know him resurrected? Because there's no life without death. And what we have is a lot of, and listen, you need to please know my heart. I mean, I, I love the body of Christ. I love Christians. I, love, I partner together even with people with, from other denominations that don't 
necessarily believe the same doctrine that I do. And we have pastor meetings throughout the month where I get together with other churches that are so radically and wildly different than me. But there's a lot of things that I know that I'm seeing in the church today. And in the church, what, I'm, what I feel like we have are a lot of Christians that have walked away from the cross, that don't live at the cross. And there's an understanding of what that means. I don't want to give you something so mystical that you didn't really know. I don't want to give you something that just sounded good, but you couldn't apply it to your life. There is a way to live this scripture. And there's an understanding that comes with it that if you'll apply yourself, get focused and get determined, then, th- then your life will be full of supernatural victory, even in the face of suffering. Even in what seems like a failure or a temporary tragedy. For those of you that may not know, we've, I've faced so much tra- I've faced more tragedy since I started Rock City Church than, I mean, I have come through a lot of hardship just after we started this church. And all that does is confirm and affirm that I'm right where I'm supposed to be. So hardship and persecution and the enemy working on overtime to keep you back from loving and living for Jesus, man, it's a war. It's a real war. And really all the Lord wants you to do is to get you to understand what you already have and what you already possess. And so he has this beautiful story that's a love story that blows Hollywood out of the water because here's the beautiful love story is that you get to discover the greatness of who he is all the days of your life. And it's a journey. I wish that I would have just arrived or that I would just could figure it all out or know exactly what I'm supposed to do. God would just fill in all the blanks that aren't necessarily in the Bible and some things wouldn't just be so vague and that it'd just be so clear. And he says, know me and stay at the cross. So determination, listen to some of these, these definitions of determination. You know, when I study a word out, I first like to get the, the simple meaning from the Webster's Dictionary. And then I really love to look at further in of course, the Greek or the Hebrew. And then I ask God, what is he saying in that word? And that's how I deliver it to you. So make this personal. To be determined means to make a decisive decision. It means to be decisive, right? So many of us know what it means to be indecisive. Boy, indecisive is not a lot of fun. And I, my wife, who's such a planner and an organizer, so many times, this is a classic line, just make a decision. Just make a decision. And it's not just in where we're going to go eat, okay? But being decisive in your life is important. When the hurricane blew away the coffee shop in Port Aransas, I had a decision to make. I suspected it would cost a lot of money, and I didn't have insurance, and everything was wiped out to the studs. If there was ever a time to bail, that was it. If I was going to bail out, cut my losses, and I had every good reason to do it, all the past, all the debts, all the notes, if there was ever a time to make a decisive decision to leave, that was it. But in a moment of understanding, because my eyes are on Jesus, he said, I called you to that city for a reason. And it would be a tragedy if you left. And I cried. 
And I then made a decisive decision not to leave. And hence, when I made the decision, then it was the resources that came to build it better than before. I'm going to give you guys a powerful word right now. And I took this from my last pastor. My last pastor was in Victoria and felt the call to take his family and his young children to Oklahoma City and start a church. And he only had like three or $4,000 to his name. So he said this to the Lord. He said, if you make a way, I'll go. Lord, if you open the doors for me, I'll go. Sounds pretty noble, right? You know what the Lord said? If you go, I'll make a way. You have to understand that God calls us to live in the tension of fighting for something. Tension is normal for a Christian. And it doesn't feel comfortable, but we don't live our life for pleasure. We live our life for purpose. And it's in your purpose that you find pleasure. But if you chase pleasure instead of purpose, you know what you reap? Destruction. <laughs> Not only is it, is it being decisive, but it actually means that you become the decisive factor or he becomes the decisive factor. So determine, he says that I've determined that Jesus is my decisive factor. And then you become the decisive factor in so many things. First him, and then the ability through you for other people. So it means that there's a decisive factor that enables me to make a decision. That's rooted in the word discern, determine. It means that I ascertain, I research, I calculate, and I establish exactly so that I can firmly decide and, in a sense, render judgment. And that's what it means in the Greek. In the Greek, it means to judge. It means to pronounce an opinion concerning right or wrong. It means to pronounce a decree from a resolution, to examine something and to allow yourself to be examined. All this is rude. Keep the scripture up. All this is in the context of just determining to know Jesus. I'm determined to examine him, and I'm determined to let him examine me. Okay? Another good word for being examined is measuring. We need to be measured. We need Jesus to measure us. We need Jesus as the, as the righteous judge to judge our lives and inspect our lives and correct us in areas that were in error. And then what happens is through his sons and daughters, we then are put in a position on earth to judge right and wrong in the right way. You say, well, judge not lest you be judged. The mindset between that is, don't live like a hypocrite. It's okay for me to be judged, but if I'm going to judge something, I better make sure that I pulled that thing out of my own eyes so I'm not living that way. The second thing is the Bible says the spiritual judges all things spiritual. Okay, and next week we're going to talk about uh, looking at people erroneously, and we're going to take it from 2 Corinthians 5, 15, and 16, right before verse 17 in being a new, Christ, new creation. We judge no one according to the flesh, it says. That's for next week. And what that means is I'm not judging according to me. I'm being spirit-led and wind-driven. I'm judging people based on life and love and righteousness and according to the cross. So I'm comparing it to spiritual things. And I know these are a lot of mysteries, but you'll get them over time. 
And the way that you really get it is when you get the scripture. When Jesus is front and center in your vision and your eyeballs and in your heart, and when you understand the power of the cross, so you compare everything to what Jesus did at the cross. He died for that. I love what Dan Muller says and how he determines what he watches movie-wise. He says, I don't want to watch something that Jesus paid the price for and died for, and I'm giving verbal assent that I'm okay to it. Now, he's pretty radical and extreme, let me just tell you. But the premise is, is that we're constantly pondering the death of Christ. So this isn't fully in my notes, but if you can jump there real quick. I taught this recently. It's such a powerful scripture. And it's 2 Corinthians 4.10. Listen, guys, this isn't so complicated. I don't, I, what I'm not trying to do is create so heavenly-minded people that you're no earthly good. I'm not trying to make you so super spiritual but I do want you to be so fanatically and radically in love with Jesus that you stand out. So my prayer often is, Lord, make me a standout. Because I'm not of this world. So what causes me to stand out? Being more religious? Please, no. Talking more Christian talk? Please, please, no. But exemplifying through the way that you love and the way that you live, and the way that you care. One, one, I might tell the story again next week, but <clears throat> every week I'm building a story because God showed me a long time ago, I preached a message a long time ago, it was titled, Ready, Sit, Go. Because I was saying, God, I need so much more of you, and I'm having these incredible encounters in the secret place with him. I'm having these overwhelming experiences with God, and I'm just... After a while, I was just feeling like nothing was happening anymore. And it was almost like God just stopped me having these experiences. And I'm like, Lord, what happened? He's like, you got to give out what I've been given. You can't just keep sitting and not giving. And that's where I got ready, sit, go. And so there's, there's a fire in the going. There's a fire in the doing. There's a fire in the releasing so that God can pour more into you. And until you give out what you take in, you're, you will become lazy and complacent spiritually if you're not giving out what you take. You can only go to church so much in your life, guys, and not give away what you get. And then you start coming to not just get, but to give away. And so a real simple diagnosis of spiritual complacency as a pastor for you is not giving away what you get or thinking that you're inadequate or allowing shame to hold you back. Or, you know, there's a lot of reasons, fear, worry, all kinds of things. And so here's a great demonstration of my own message last week. I go to my secret spot. I have a, several of them. So don't try to find me because it's supposed to be a secret. <laughs> it's not so secret. We live in Corpus, for goodness sakes, right? And so... There's, I like to go to some of the parks along Ocean Drive. I like to go under the bridges. I like to sit by the water. I'll go to the beach. We have this beautiful place that we live in, and sometimes it's in my closet or in my room. It's wherever the Lord tells me to go. I'm not formulistic about it, but, and a lot of times he moves me. So God's into spots. Everybody say, God's into spots. God's into spots. Find your spot, right? Find your spot. And the cloud moves sometimes, and so the cloud moved, and I was over at a different spot, and I was sitting by the water on Ocean Drive, and there was a, a grandpa there 
Is Jesse here, by the way? Because I know he's going to come. You're going to meet this guy, Jesse. He's a grandfather that is taking care of his grandson, and they were fishing, right? And uh, it was at Swantner Parks where we were. And he's got his kid's little fishing pole. And the, the, the son is three. Now, I have a three-year-old. I can, I can recognize a three-year-old from a mile away. And this poor kid, his attention span is like a whole 35 seconds, right? So I've tried to take my three-year-old fishing, and he wants dance parties instead of the fish. If the fish doesn't bite in about a whole minute, he's like, let's have a dance party. Where's my snack? <laughs> I mean, snacks and dance parties, that's what happens when we go fishing. <laughs> and so... I'm watching this guy, and I'm just moved. I'm like, he's so patient. And the little boy's kicking his legs, gets up, walks in circles, sits down. And then I hear him, like, tell him, no, don't do that. Who knows what he did? He's like, I told you not to do that. Sounds like me a lot of times. And I'm just like, man, I'm just loving this picture. And I'm having time with the Lord, and I'm just like, oh, oh God, just bless him. Bless him, Lord. And I heard this real... I mean, like, super subtle, sneaky whisper, well, you ought to go bless him. It was real, it was real faint, real quiet. And I was like, oh, yeah, but no. I mean, I finally am getting away. I mean, I've been with kids. I've finally got some time, right? I mean, the last thing that I need to do is go talk to somebody. <laughs> so I just kept right on. And, man, it was like ice. I mean, I could have played... Vanilla ice in my truck and probably had a better experience with the Lord. Let's cue that up for next service. <laughs> and so, man, I just keep, I just keep getting drawn to them. It's like, oh, man, oh, God, my heart of compassion for this grandpa is like, Lord, just, Lord, please just show yourself to him. And I mean, it was like audible screaming in my ear, get out of your truck right now. If you want me to bless him, you go be the blessing. I didn't even hesitate. I've done this enough. I mean, I was out that door and walking down to the end of that fishing uh, spot. Yeah, the fishing spot. Seawall. It's like a little mini seawall there. And we had this incredible encounter. He's like, you don't know how much... Like, I started talking with him, and he's like, God sent you. The Lord told me to come to this spot because my brother went to another spot, and I knew I was supposed to come here. Now, he was already a believer, but missing a lot of fire and wind in his life and passion and facing some very real struggles with his, son, with his grandson's father that I could relate to, which brought comfort and encouragement to him. We prayed, and the presence of God came, and since then, he's messaged me. He's reached out to me. He's like, I'm coming. You don't know how much my life was impacted. You'll meet him here at some point. And whether he comes or not is not the point. The point is, is that if you want to experience the more the Lord has for you, you can't just keep taking and not giving. Which, which is for next week. But see, I just gave you the whole sneak peek of next week. I'm just terrible. Like, if there's a surprise birthday party, don't tell me. Just don't tell me, okay? So de making a determination is a, is, means this. So if I told you it was a legal term to examine, to pronounce a decree, to resolve, to judge between right and wrong, then think about it from this position. It's a positional term of government. 
of ruling and reigning in government. Okay? I'm going to break that down for you. It means to preside over with power and authority, giving judicial decisions over deeds, words, and actions, first for yourself, then for others. It's a, the same word is also used for the word to file suit, a lawsuit. But the context of filing the lawsuit, let's keep the scripture back up on determination, thanks. The, the, the premise of filing for lawsuit, a lawsuit is not against each other, but it's partnering together against the enemy. Let me give you a great example. Jesus is on the cross and he pronounces a decree, forgive them for they know not what they do. So he passed, when he could have passed a lawsuit or a judgment or a decree against the very people that crucified him, instead he passed one of forgiveness. Okay? And so, I'm sorry, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. That's a powerful scripture that we just had. And so, the understanding of determination means that I have the power and authority from God, and so do you, to do a whole lot of things. When you know Jesus Christ and him crucified, then every judicial decision that comes out of my life and into my life is one of mercy, grace, forgiveness, love, kindness. See, the problem is when I start using governmental, legalistic-type terms like suing and rendering judgment, and power and authority, and judicial authority, are in the natural, in the world system, those are not necessarily the best of terms. But in the kingdom, it's righting the wrong. It's bringing justice to injustice. So you have to make a determination. You have to make a determination. And it's not against each other. It's a, it's a, it's a determination or legal action first and foremost, against the enemy and everything he represents, okay? Always, always. It's a mindset that leads to a lifestyle of complete surrender and following Jesus at all times. It's knowing who Jesus really is, both biblically and personally to you. There's a lot of people in this world that have a non-biblical Jesus, okay? And so one of the things that we want to always do is help accurately reflect who Jesus and God really is biblically. And in order to know who he really is for you, you have to know what God says and what he says about himself in the Bible, which is why reading the Bible is so important, okay? So determining to know, we're going to talk about know here in a minute, anything among you, another way to say it is to know nothing else what I want to know the most. These are all ways that I process these scriptures. I've determined that what I really want to know the most. I've determined that I don't want to know anything else except. And there's a way to do this scripture that's not so spiritual or heavenly minded that it's not practical because the practical is spiritual. God gives us practical wisdom and insight and understanding that's every bit as much as spiritual. It's knowing who Jesus really is both biblically and personally. And it produces something in you. It produces life, love, friendship, wisdom, understanding God's nature, and all the benefits that he provides for your life. Like the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, those are some of the best benefits, right? So the first thing is love. So when I didn't know what real love was, when I lived a life of erotic love, bar hopping and clubbing, and it was all about me from the time I was young, 
when my own parents that probably like kindergarten, first grade, were asking me if I already had a girlfriend or a girl that I was interested in. Are there any girls here that you like? Please don't do that to your kids because you're fueling dysfunction in their heart and prematurely activating them into relationships that they have no preparation and understanding for at a young age. So this whole, you got a little Johnny's eighth grade? You, you got a girlfriend yet? Little Johnny in eighth grade shouldn't have a girlfriend yet. Whoa! That's for my next series. We are starting. So I'll let another cat out of the bag. After, after Jake Hamilton and after Kevin Leal, we're going to go. We've been talking every day. My wife and I are going to dive into marriage and family and children for as long as God. We're going to start teaching on dating and relationships and marriages and doing life together as family. So next week, I'm going to talk about determined and how we love other people and lay our lives down for one another. Then we'll have Jake Hamilton, who's going to bring the One Flesh Marriage Tour. Everybody should be here for this. This is a very big deal to have Jake Hamilton here on that night. And, you know, he reached out to me and offered to come at no charge. He's like, you don't need to pay for anything. We're coming through. Right? And I got that connection through Pastor David Chisholm in West Virginia. And so... After Jake and after Kevin Leal, we'll switch gears into talking more about family and marriage and things like that. But <clears throat> the decisions that we make in our love for Christ affect how we raise our children and love one another. And so the greatest benefits that you get, of course, are the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, the, and it doesn't say the fruits, it says the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, patience, kindness, love, temperance, gentleness, faith. All the fruit of the Spirit is a result of this scripture. So let's talk just briefly about him crucified. What does it mean to determine to not know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified? Let's go back. There you go. Notice it's like two parts. To know Jesus Christ and him crucified. What does that mean? How do you even determine to not know anything else but Jesus and him crucified? Well, I showed you the scripture just a minute ago from 2 Corinthians 4.10 that we're always caring about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ in our body. The scripture before that says we're persecuted, we suffer hardship on every side, we're cast down, but, and I, I've taught that recently. And so... To know Jesus crucified, if you don't know Jesus crucified, listen to this, you write this down. If you don't know Jesus crucified, you won't know him resurrected. Yeah, I just, that is just so good to me. Because I want to know him resurrected. But until I know him crucified, I can't experience the fullness of him resurrected. Let me help you understand that in just a few ways, all right? Philippians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 the Apostle Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So there's got to be this conforming to the death of Christ. There's got to be a knowing him and to know the power of his resurrection, but it first comes from the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death, because look at the last part, that I may, may attain. 
the resurrection of the dead. Now and then. Everybody say, now and then. Because we read the scripture with this mindset of Jesus coming back, or, and whenever that is, we're all going to resurrect out of the graves, or we'll, we'll experience the rapture when he comes back if we're alive on this earth. But is it possible God wants you to live a resurrected life now? So first comes death. Let's say this together. First comes death. Then comes life. Here's the, great, the greatest example of what Jesus said, John 12, 24, and 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. So without death comes loneliness. Without death comes loneliness. And there's a lot to that that I don't have time to break down, but it's in my death that comes a reproduction and comes family. Okay? But if it dies, it produces much grain. So there's a production that comes a producing that comes in you laying your life down. If you love your life, you're going to lose it. But if you hate your life in this world, the key word is in this world, you'll keep it for eternal life. And so it's hating my life without Christ. It's, it's the opposite of 1 Corinthians 2.2. That's what this is. If I don't have Jesus front and center, and if I'm not living my life at the cross, I'm never going to have an understanding I'm always going to be preserving myself. I'll be in self-preserving, egocentric mode. I'll be egocentric. It'll be all about me. And I'll be self-preserving, like all about my clothes, my next paycheck, my money, where I'm going to go shopping, my next vacation. When's pastor going to end? Because, man, I got to get to lunch. Don't worry, I only have a few minutes, unfortunately. Just can't stand this. So there's this process of of reproduction and family and life that comes in death. Remember, we're revolving all around 1 Corinthians 2.2 today. Listen to what Jesus went on to say in John 12, 32 and 33. I love this. If I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to myself. But what he, the, And I've talked about this before. There are multiple ascensions that have to happen in your life. The first ascension that has to happen in your life is the cross. So Jesus is talking about being lifted up on the cross because it goes on to say, look at the next verse. He said this speaking how he would die. But there was a, there'd be another ascension, wouldn't there? Right? And so he's saying, if I don't die on the cross, no one's going to get drawn to my life. First comes death. And so in order for us to fulfill what God intended for us to fulfill and become and do, in every area of our lives, and even to especially to know his love, we all have to come to the cross and be ascended on the cross. This generation's walked away from the cross. Wednesday night, I called Francisco up to pray because the Lord led me to do that. And when he got up on the, up on the stage to pray, he went right at, the resurrection, or at, right at the crucifixion. I'm like, whoa, hey, he's stealing my thunder. And it was awesome. Because if we can get cross-minded, not split-minded, not schizophrenia, if you can get cross-minded in a normal, healthy way of how you love and how you, because the cross is all about love. Remember that. Everything about, Jesus says, no one can take my life. No one has the power to take my life, but I lay it down for you. And so you've got to understand the gospel because This whole chapter two and the end of one is all about the foolishness of the message of the cross. 
It's foolish to those that are perishing, but to those that believe, it's the power of God. So when you believe and you take hold of the cross, suddenly power is released in your life. If you want power, you got to get to the cross and live a cross-minded lifestyle that's determined. Let's look at this scripture. The, the crucifixion is knowing how much God loves you, and it's knowing his forgiveness, his kindness, and his mercy. 2 Corinthians 4, 15, and 16, what compels me? What compels you? Verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. The Bible says that the love of Christ compels us because we judge this way, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So I no longer live for myself because of what Jesus did. I'm now living for Jesus because of what he did for you and me, which will be a part two of next week, is that Jesus did it for us and he did it for one another. And now the life that I live, I no longer live for myself and I'm compelled by the love of God. And then finally, I'll leave you with just these couple things. I want to teach you another word this morning. It's the word remission. Now, we hear the word remission in the remission of a disease like cancer and other things. And there's, there's some truth to the understanding of that word. Oh, you found it? 514, there it is. The love, write this one down. The love of Christ compels you because we judge or determine this way that if Jesus died, he died for all. And now I no longer live for myself, but I live for him who died for you which is going to lead us to next week, is understanding Jesus paid a price for you. And the worst of the worst and the ones you despise and the ones you don't want to talk to and the outcasts and the homeless and the drug addict and your family member that's so mean or ultra-religious, he died for them. The murderer, the pedophile, all of them. He died for all of them. ISIS, every single living person in the entire world he died for. Next week. You don't want to miss next week. You know, I'm very evangelistic-minded, so I'm already ready to jump into next week, but I got to get you to get this first. This is first. This is the main thing, the main thing. So look at this. Matthew 26, 28. This is the power of the cross. So when we're, go back to 2, 2, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. Determined to know him crucified. Why? Because in the new covenant, in the New Testament, of Christ, the new testimony, the new covenant, the new promise of life comes, his blood, when his blood was shed, it, it brought remission of sins. Now, let me tell you about remission. Remission means to be released from bondage and imprisonment. So when Jesus said he came to set the captives free, how? His blood was shed on the cross. And now because of the blood, everybody say because of the blood. You have remission of sins, which, again, remission means you're released from bondage and imprisonment. It means you're forgiven. Everybody say, I'm forgiven. And it means the penalty is removed and you receive a pardon. You know what a pardon is? It's when really, really bad, bad people did something really bad, right? Or, you know, whatever the reason was, and the president or a governor pardons them. Or even a judge passes verdict that pardons them or releases them. It's basically, it's as if you never committed the crime. It means all your failure, all your sin, every mistake you ever made, all of it 
is covered under the blood. Now, what we're here partly because you have to learn what that means. So it's a reality in the spirit, but the problem is too many Christians are living in their past, and your past is determining your future because we don't read our Bibles. So I, have, I teach you, but I teach you to spur you on so that when you walk out these doors, you're like, man, I got to know more about that. See, a lot of times, I'm not, don't think I'm super genius, okay? My wife doesn't anyway, so... Let me just tell you, I get a word in my head like remission from the Holy Spirit, and then I look it up. I don't remember where all the scriptures were, but I remember it was in the Bible, and then I remember at the Last Supper, Jesus says, this is my body which is broken, this is my blood which is shed for the remission. So remission is the cancellation of your debt, charge, and penalty. Some of you today are living in shame of your past and all your failures. And your past is, identi- is become an identity that was never intended to be who you are. So when you come to Christ, you actually dif- discover who you really were intended to be. And at first, it feels like there's an identity crisis because everything you were prior to Christ now flips and you become a new creation. So that's why you need family and friends and a healthy church to help you discover and walk out your new identity. Who you really are and say, that's not who you are. That person's dead. And to help you in your soul realm, because you're born again in your spirit, to help you discern and decipher what Jesus is saying and to comfort you and strengthen you and pour into you when you're struggling. That's what family should do. Amen. I'll just sum, sum this up. Maybe I'll recap it next week. I'll just leave you with these few things. Knowing Christ crucified is dying to yourself in sin. Okay, so you can read this later. Read Romans 6, 5 through 11 later. Make that your homework, okay? It says you're united together in the likeness of his death. I'm united in the likeness of his death. And so likewise, there's this little word in there called likewise, but I don't have time to teach it because this service just goes by way too fast. And one of my greatest things in knowing Jesus crucified, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, of the millions that are my favorite. <laughs> Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Everybody say, I have access. I have access. Woo, this is the daily Christ crucified. See, when you put it into perspective, at first the scripture can be daunting, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. I'm only determined to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. What does that mean? I'm showing you today. Because Christ was crucified, he passed through the heavens, and now he became your great high priest. And there's a couple words that should jump out on the page to you. Here. First, he sympathizes in your weakness. He went through what we go through. But look at verse 16. There's a couple words that just jump off the screen on verse 16. You want to know what they are? Obtain, find, and help, and need. Those words just jump out. So, Think about I'm obtaining something when I go. That's why I love to use the word, I'm a throne room traveler, like a time traveler. When, is, when do you have need? And see, if I can get you going to the throne and going to Jesus, your high priest, you're going to make my job a whole lot easier. Man, am I going to, it's going to be even more awesome. I'll feel like I'm more on vacation because now you're popping like popcorn. Start popping. Come on, guys. If I can do it, you can do it. If Billy can do it, who's one of the most on fire guys I know, you can do it. 
If Pat and Nikki can do it, you can do it. If Oscar and Vanessa can do it, you can do it. If Don and Doug can do it, you can do it. Come on, guys. So Christ crucified, just notice this. When I go, the throne is a place of grace. Say that. The throne is a place of grace, which grace means an empowerment. So I'm going to go to the place of empowerment. And when I go to the place of empowerment, what's the first thing I'm going to grab hold of? Mercy. Because you got to have mercy first. Mercy's become one of my greatest weapons in this last season of my life. Man, am I crying out for mercy. Because I sure feel like I blow it a lot. I sure feel like I'm making a lot of mistakes. This is sure a difficult world with kids and wife and businesses and church and people hurting and broken, and it's messed up out these doors. I need mercy, so I'm obtaining. Everybody say, I'm obtaining. obtaining. I don't have time to break that word down, but to obtain means to grab hold of. It's treasure hunting. It's finding. It's discovering. So I'm obtaining mercy, and then what what happens? I find. Everybody say, "I I find. Treasure hunting in the throne. I'm obtaining and I'm finding an empowerment that does what for me? Makes me a a better Christian or supernatural? No. When I'm in my greatest need, he's there. When I need help in my most crisis situation, he is there. When I don't know what to do, he is there. When I've screwed it all up, he is there. When I burn it down to ashes, he gives me something beautiful. Woo! Yeah! It's the gospel. It's good news. This is good news, everybody. And there's millions of people out these doors that don't know this good news. So God says, tag, you're it. Say, tag, I'm it. Just like me sitting in that truck. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Just bless him. Oh, well, I'm with the Lord. I'm having like, oh, just bless him, God. I'm too. He says, you get out of that truck and you go be the blessing. Let's all stand.